The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Praise God for His Spirit in this place. Our scripture this morning is from Philemon chapter 1, and that is the book. Um, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you in any way at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers that I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Powerful, gracious, and loving God, thank you so much for meeting us here. Thank you that we get to to support one another and grow together. God, we pray this morning 
that you would anoint Pastor Chris afresh, that you would speak through him, that you would, that you would guide him in this entire message. And God, for each of us listening, open our ears, open our hearts, and just show us exactly where you're speaking to us this morning through this word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Colson, in his book, Who Speaks for God, writes about the infamous gangster Mickey Cohen, who went to an evangelistic meeting, was very moved, and he claimed a conversion experience. There were very high hopes for this man's conversion that it could greatly influence other people to follow in his footsteps as he was kind of a uh, celebrity gangster, if you will. But as months went by, there was no profound changes in Mickey's life. He was still living the life of a gangster, but claiming to be a Christian. And finally, some time went by, and he was confronted by some Christian friends. And he allegedly responded by saying this, that no one had ever told him he would have to give up his work and his friends to be a Christian. After all, he said, there were Christian football players, Christian cowboys, Christian politicians. Why not a Christian gangster? Now, that testimony doesn't fit well with the Bible. Because when conversion really happens, when an individual is born again, brought into right standing with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and is indwelt by the Spirit of God, that tends to change a person. Amen? The gospel changes people. Now listen, to be sure, complete change does not happen overnight. Our hearts are made new the moment we believe and, and the Spirit indwells us. But change takes a while. Our hearts are made new in the sense as they are now pliable. They're able to be molded into who God wants us to be. Our, we're, we're, uh, the, the tablets of God's law are now written on, or his law is now written on the tablets of our heart. Our hearts are bent now towards serving God. But we still have this thing that we deal with called the flesh or the sinful nature. So the process of sanctification, which is just a big word that means becoming more and more like Jesus, that process starts at justification or salvation and it's a lifelong process. That means that day by day as you walk with Jesus, you ought to look a little more and act a little more like him. Become a little more like Christ day by day. But we know this from the Bible. Gradual as it may be, the gospel transforms us day by day. Can I get an amen? Man, you are quiet today. In this book of Philemon, we see clearly this theme of gospel transformation. And that's what I want us to consider together today. Let me just give you a little background on the book of Philemon. This is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to a man called Philemon. And nevertheless, though it's just written to him, uh, it, it is intended to be read, you can see this clearly in verse 2, to the whole church that meets now in this man's home. And obviously now it's meant for us all to read as it is by God's divine providence in our Bible. This letter was most, uh, li most likely written around 62 AD during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And here's the occasion. Philemon is a wealthy Christian 
who apparently heard the gospel and was saved during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He has now opened his home in Colossae graciously for a group of Christians to meet there regularly. In the first century, uh, churches tended to meet in homes. And Paul is writing this letter on behalf of a man by the name of Onesimus, who was one of Philemon's slaves, bond servants. Now, it's unclear exactly what this man Onesimus has done, but it seems that he either stole money or property from Philemon, and he has now fled and made his way to Rome to kind of blend in. But by God's divine providence, Onesimus connects with Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him, and this man is gloriously saved. And now Onesimus, over time, has become very useful to Paul during his imprisonment. But the apostle knows, I've got to send him back to Philemon because I'm actually harboring a fugitive, which is not good. And so Paul writes this incredible letter to request to Philemon to receive Onesimus back, and get this, not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And so through this short epistle, we get a glimpse of the incredible transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see transformation in Paul's life, in the life of Philemon, in the life of Onesimus. And I want to walk through that today. Here's where we'll begin by looking at the gospel, how the gospel changes our affections. The gospel changes our affections title of my message is the ABCs of gospel transformation. The A is affection. So the gospel changes our affections. Many people equate Christianity to simply a change in behavior. But that is moralism, not the gospel. The gospel, gospel goes beyond mere behavior and it penetrates the depths of who we are. The gospel transforms our affections. Listen to me. The true Christian not only obeys Christ, but treasures Jesus Christ above all things. Furthermore, not only does the gospel change our and raise our affections for Jesus Christ, but the gospel actually raises our affections for the people of God as well. I want you to consider first the life of Paul before Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was a violent opponent of the church. Galatians 1.13 says this. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul has now been changed by the gospel. He went from persecuting the church, hating, despising the church, and despising Christ, to loving Christ so much so that he's willing to be imprisoned for him. Obviously, his affections have been raised for Christ, but even beyond that, he also has his affection raised for people. Consider the opening of this letter. He refers to Timothy as their brother, a very endearing term, amen? As Philemon, as the beloved fellow worker. He refers to Aphia as their sister. And then he talks later, in, beginning in verse 4, about his commitment to pray for Philemon and how grateful he is for him and his ministry. He says in verse 7 that he has much, listen to these words, joy and comfort because of Philemon's 
Philemon's love and how he, it has refreshed other believers. In verse 22, Paul tells Philemon to prepare a guest room for him because Paul wants to fellowship with him. And when we, when we consider the endearing language here that he uses, you get the idea that he considers these people family. The people of God are Paul's family. He loves them, and his affections have so been raised for them by the gospel. That tends to happen, doesn't it? When we're transformed by the gospel, yes, our affections are raised for Christ, raised for Christ but two, we love deeply the people of God. Let's consider Philemon. We don't know too much from the Bible about his life before he was saved, but we do know that he was a slave owner. And slaved, slaves were considered then in the first century as people, but they were treated by Roman law as property. And that does not sit well with the Bible. In verse 5, you see the change that's come about in Philemon's life. He's not perfect, but you see the change taking place. Paul writes of him, I hear of your love and your faith towards Jesus Christ and all the saints, all the people of God. Verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What's going on here? The gospel has transformed and is, by the way, transforming Philemon. Paul says this in verse 8, according though, he says, I'm accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command what you required Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Here's what Paul's saying here. Paul says, listen, I could play the apostle card and just tell you what to do. But he says this, I'm going to appeal to the basis of love. He says, Philemon, I believe you're going to make the right decision because of this change that has taken place in your heart. Which tells me this, God does not just want our heartless obedience. That's not the goal, just to be a heartless uh, rule keeper. Now, it's better to keep the rules than not. But what I'm saying is this. What Christ is after is not just behavior. He's after our affections. Again, moralism is not the gospel. In Mark 12, 30, Jesus talks about the greatest of the commands. And he says this, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, listen to that language. I know this is a very familiar passage. It doesn't say just, just keep the rules and you're okay. No, what's, what is it that God is really after? He wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And then he says, goes on to say that we shall love our neighbor as ourself. He says there's no other commandment greater than these Philemon has been radically changed. His affections have been raised for Christ and the people of God. And then you consider Onesimus. Paul is convinced now that Onesimus, who once wanted to take advantage of Philemon, he's convinced that he has now had such a heart change that he will prove himself useful. And Paul refers to him in verse 10 as his child. 
his spiritual child, and he appeals to Philemon to receive him as his brother. Here's what I want you to see. The gospel doesn't just transform behavior. It also transforms our affections. I'm discipling a a new brother in the Lord from our church. Actually, he was saved back in October. And we meet on a kind of semi-regular basis, and we're going through a couple books together and the Bible together. And uh, he, he says to me, Pastor, he said, uh, you know, when I start talking about the things of God, when I start thinking about these things, I, I tend to weep. And every time we meet, it's like we both kind of our eyes well up with tears. And I said, you know what's happening? The gospel is transforming your heart. I think back to a man by the name of Troy that I met at a halfway house years ago, and Troy was a big dude. He came to one of my classes called Bondage Breakers. He was an addict, and he just wanted a a certificate to help him with the parole board he was going up to see in a few weeks. So he took this class, but when he took the class, he got more than a certificate. The Holy Spirit drew him to God. The gospel made sense to him. His eyes were opened And he accepted the Lord, and I baptized him here three years ago, this inmate. It was incredible. Now, Troy was a pretty intimidating guy. As I said, I mean, he worked out a lot. That's about all he did. I mean, he was just a strong, buff dude. He didn't even hardly smile. Very serious, very hurt, very broken individual. He got news one day that he was going to be going to SAP which is the, another program, is, which is just one step closer to home. And this is usually good news for an inmate. But he was going to be shipped to western Kentucky in Owensboro. And when he received the news, he said, Pastor, can I talk to you privately? I said, sure. So we went back in the conference room at the halfway house, and he broke down in tears and cried like a baby. He just said, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for leading me in the scriptures. I'm thankful for what God has done in my life, and I'm excited to be closer to my family. They were in western Kentucky, but he said, I really don't want to leave because I love coming to real life. And he, this, this man who was so hardened at one point, just even weeks before that, broke down in tears because of the goodness of God. Friends, the Bible transforms us. The gospel transforms our hearts. Number two, the gospel not only changes our affections, but it also changes our behaviors. We don't want to leave this part out. See, a changed heart will lead to change in behavior. A gospel-transformed heart always leads to gospel-transformed actions. John 14, 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I was listening to uh, Keller just the other day, and he was saying um, that, you know, there's, there's a difference in every religion, other religion, and Christianity. Every other religion will tell you this. You follow the rules, or you obey, or you change your behavior, and then you're accepted. The gospel reverses that. You're accepted, therefore you change your behavior. So many people are trying to clean themselves up so they can get to God. Friends, it doesn't work. You start with the gospel. You start by literally saying, God, I have nothing to bring to you 
It's falling at the feet of Jesus and saying, no, I throw myself at your mercy and upon your finished work at Calvary. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you have already done. And I accept your salvation. Then you're accepted by God by virtue of what Jesus has done and your faith in him. Then, by God's grace and by his spirit, you start to change behavior. Not the other way around. Paul's behavior obviously changed. He went from persecuting the church to being imprisoned for the church. The very fact that he's taking time to write this letter, to put himself on the line for a man he barely knows, sharing the gospel with him to guarantee even his debt to Philemon as he does in verse 18. Friends, this is radical behavioral change. And then you take Philemon himself by Roman law, Believe it or not, he has the right to execute his runaway slave. By law, he has a right to treat Onesimus as property. But these actions would be impossible to reconcile with a heart that has been changed by the gospel. I want to point you to verse 13. Paul says this of Philemon. He says, I would have been glad to keep Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Of your own accord. He's so convinced that Philemon's behavior has changed that he's going to do the right thing. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul's saying there, listen, God's providence was at work here. Onesimus left for a reason, perhaps. Maybe this is God's plan. In verse 16, he says, don't just receive him back, but no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. So Paul not only requests for Philemon to receive Onesimus back, this would have been radical in this day. Just forgive his debt. Just act like nothing happened. Receive him back as a bondservant. Receive him back as a slave. No, Paul goes way beyond that. He says, no, actually, I want you to wipe the slate clean, but I want you to receive him back as a brother. In verse 21, this is amazing. Paul says this, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Why? Because the gospel transforms your heart. It doesn't transform just what you do on Sundays. It doesn't just make you sing louder and praise, you know, in in, in a more boisterous way or uh, just, no, no, no. It changes the core of who you are. It affects, listen, your employees, if you're a business owner, ought to notice a difference. Your employer, if you're an employee, ought to notice a difference. Your children, if you have kids, ought to notice a difference. Because the gospel changes us to the core. Paul is so convinced of this in Philemon's life, he says, I don't need to command you what to do. I just believe your heart's changed, your behavior's changed, you're going to make the right decision and do even more than what I'm asking. Then you consider Onesimus. How did his behavior change? Well, Onesimus means useful. That's the meaning of his name. And in verse 11, Paul kind of uses this play on words. He says this, formerly he was useless to you. Now think about this. The man whose name is useful is useless, right? He was not living up to his name, but the gospel changes everything, amen? He says, now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
That's the transforming power of the gospel. What Christ has done in the life of Onesimus has radically changed him. He went from being a lazy and useless worker to someone who is now very useful. And Paul says he would like to keep him there, but he knows that he would be useful to Philemon. See, the gospel changes our behavior beyond just rule keeping. You know, when people get saved, it's like we give them sometimes a list of rules. All right, no more getting drunk, no more having sex outside of marriage. You, you better keep the Ten Commandments, so on and so forth. And that's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not against that. We need to obey. But the gospel should change us in another way as well. It's not just about what we don't do. That's what we focus on way too much. Friends, it's about what we do. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before the, uh, God the Father is this. Watch this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So there's the obedience part in the end. But notice what he says first. It's to care for the orphan and the widow. So here's what that is. When your heart has been changed by the gospel, you will attend to the marginalized in your community. You will pray for those who are hurting. You will feed the hungry when you are capable of doing that. You will clothe the naked. You will give drink to the thirsty. Give money to the poor as the Lord moves you to. You will share the gospel. You treat people with respect. By the way, even the people on the other political side than you. We need to hear that, don't we? It means we even love our enemies. And here's what happens The more we grow in Christ, the more he changes us. And if you claim conversion, maybe like the gangster I talked about in the beginning, but there's no life change, I say, brothers and sisters, you may want to evaluate your conversion. Now, again, you're not perfect overnight. Positionally, you are. But practically, no, you've still got some some flesh that you're dealing with, right? This is a lifetime battle But you know what? Day by day, as you walk with Jesus, you ought to become a little more like him. Let me me give you an example. How many of you, if you've been married a long time, notice you becoming more and more like like your spouse, right? You begin to think like your spouse a little bit. If you see somebody who's been married a long time, I mean, they just, they develop the same mannerisms. They even like make the same faces and, and gestures. And it's just like, man, you're looking at the same people. Even like really old folks, they tend to even look like each other towards the end, right? Like, it's incredible. Listen, when we walk with Jesus Christ, it ought to have that same impact on our lives. If you're not being changed into looking more and more like him through the process of sanctification, friend, there's an issue. You need to spend more time with him, more time in his word, more time in prayer. The gospel changes us. The word changes us from the inside out. So it changes our affections. It changes our behavior, and and number three, the gospel changes our culture. The gospel changes our culture. You know, it's very interesting here. This is something I I really try to look into. It's interesting that Paul doesn't necessarily address the issue of slavery in a real direct way. Probably would have been impossible to do in the world in which he lived. What he does instead is appeal to the Christian heart of Philemon. And I want you to hear me very well. This is so relevant as, as, uh, in light of what we're going through right now as a country, as a world. 
in a fallen world full of lost people, I think the way that we see lasting cultural change is this. I think we share the gospel. We let the gospel change the hearts of men and women. And we appeal to those changed hearts. That's what Philemon does. This is very interesting. Albert J. Rabate in his book, Slave Religion, says essentially that many of the early slaveholders in the United States did not want their slaves to be exposed to Christianity for fear that they would be compelled to set them free. Why? Because when we get a hold of the Word of God, we tend to be changed by the gospel. And something like slavery doesn't fit well with the Bible unless it's domesticated, which is what they tried to do years ago. You can't read the Bible objectively and come out and think that that is okay. And I make this point because of the political climate in which we now find ourselves. I hope you care about social injustice. I hope that you want to see the world change for the better. But I don't know if you've noticed this. You grumbling and complaining against the other political side or people who might disagree with you doesn't change anything. It just adds fuel to the fire. Friends, we're called to be peacemakers. And I'll just be very honest with you. I'm talking, I had to get off Facebook for a while. I took it off my phone. I have it for my business. But I had to get off Facebook because I was so disappointed in so many people from our church. I'm talking from our church. And the attitude on face on social media against people who would differ for them. Listen. We need to learn to live in a pluralistic society. There's only one way, one, one truth. Jesus Christ is the way, right? But that being said, we've got to learn that us just condemning everybody else and us just putting down everybody else and calling them every name in the book is not helpful. You know, I think back to the book of Acts as you read through and you don't see the, the apostles picketing for change in the Roman world and it was a lot worse than it is in America trust me you don't see them picketing to you know throw somebody off the throne or Nero or whoever it might be who hated Christians the only time they would stand up when when they were told you know the apostles were told hey do not preach or teach in the name of Jesus they said sorry we can't help but teach and preach what we know but other than that, matter of fact, Paul, or excuse me, Luke writes Acts to a man by the name of Theophilus, who is a Roman official, to show that their, their goal is not just to overthrow Rome. That's not it at all. This is about Jesus Christ. And listen, if the gospel takes hold of a culture, of a society, it actually changes it for the better. We shouldn't be threatened by that. So what does Paul do to Philemon? He appeals to love. And a heart changed by the gospel. What did Paul do when, when he was in Ephesus? What did he preach? He preached the gospel. That's the only thing that's going to change a nation. That's the only thing that's going to change a heart. So he didn't engage in, in, in I doubt, seriously, he engaged in, 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 you know, these political discussions with Philemon. He didn't waste his time on it. He said, Philemon, let me tell you what you need. You need Jesus Christ. And he let the gospel do the work. And now, 
He says, I don't even have to command you to receive Onesimus, your former slave, back as a brother because your heart's been so changed. Here's what I believe. You're going to do even more. And when individuals are changed by the gospel, that's lasting change that happens. Cultures are changed. Cultures are changed. And so I would just encourage you today to let the gospel do the work. Be kind because when you get on Facebook or whatever medium or face-to-face with people, however you do it, and all you do is hold up a kind of an iron fist and point your finger at the other side, whichever other side that may be, all you've done, all you've done is destroy your witness and your ability for them to hear you. When you call somebody, excuse me, a libtard, what is wrong with you? And I don't have anybody particular in mind here, so don't, every time I say something like this, somebody comes out of pastor, you know, were you on my Facebook? No. If, if you're convicted, it's the Holy Ghost. Do you think Paul, do you think, Peter might have, but uh, um, we call him the cussing preacher, right? The one that'll just cut your ear off if he disagrees with you. But don't think that's the way of the gospel. You need to be a bridge builder. Listen, lost people are going to act like lost people. They don't need to conform. You you want them to conform to biblical values. They're not going to do that. If you'll share the gospel, though, perhaps they might. This is the way to bring about change in our culture. So let me just ask you, how is the gospel changing you? Are your affections for Jesus and his church growing day by day? Are your behaviors more and more reflecting that which lines up with the Bible? And are you impacting the culture around you by sharing the gospel with other people? Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Philemon is a great book to see how the gospel should be transforming us. But more than that, this is the final thing I'll say. It's a good picture of the gospel itself. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Martin Luther, the great reformer, rightly said this. He said that we were all at one time an Onesimus. And here's what he means. I think we have all been rebellious at one time or another, running away, fleeing from our master, just like Onesimus was fleeing from Philemon. Onesimus, by Roman law, deserved death. And we, by the law of God, because of our sin, what do we deserve? Death. Eternal death. But in this letter, it's so interesting that Paul intercedes. Onesimus is saved. And Paul intercedes on his behalf and puts himself and his own reputation on the line. And he sends this letter to Philemon. This wealthy man. And he says, Philemon, I want you to do something. Not only do I want you to receive him back, Onesimus back as a brother, I actually want you to receive him as you would me. Because <laughs> the gospel levels the playing wheel field, right? There are no rich or poor. There are no slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. No. Receive him as you would me. And here's what Paul goes on to say. Don't miss this. He says, 
I know he owes you something. If he owes you anything, he says, put it on my account. I'll take care of the debt. Is that not a beautiful picture of the gospel? We're deserving of death. But Jesus Christ came. And he put himself on the line. And he lived the perfect life, though he was tempted in every way without sin. He came. And though he never sinned, though he did not deserve the sinner's death like we did, he took our place and he died the death of a sinner, became a curse for us to release us from the curse. He took on the wrath of God. He appeased by his death the wrath of God, dying for our sin, appeasing the justice of God. And now when we come to God in faith, by virtue of believing upon Jesus Christ and his finished work, his death, his burial and resurrection, here's what happens. When God would normally see us in our filthy sin, Jesus says, oh, Father, receive him, receive her, receive her as you would me. And by the way, I know that they owe you a debt that they could never pay, but I've already paid for it. Signed, sealed, delivered. Hallelujah. I wish somebody would help me in here. That's the, there's no better news in the world that exists. That is the gospel. So if you're here today and you are fleeing like Onesimus, hiding from God, running, that's a miserable place to be. It's a wearisome place. Jesus would say to you, oh, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Hallelujah. The same gospel that changed Onesimus, that changed Paul, that changed Philemon will change you. And I would say to you, oh, weary traveler, I would say, come to him today and he'll give you rest. If you've never made that decision to follow him, I invite you to come and do it today. But assuming I'm talking to mostly Christians today, I would say to you, make sure that the gospel for you is not just something of the past. Make sure that it's continuing to transform you day by day. Be in the Word of God. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. I was just talking to one of our ladies here at the church before service, and she said uh, several weeks ago when I preached about beginning your day with the Word and prayer, she said, I've done that. I get up early. This is somebody who drives to Lexington every day but gets up even earlier to spend time with the Lord. And she said, it's amazing the difference it makes in your life. So if you're not beginning to look more and more like Jesus, spend more time with him. Spend more time with him. And let's not be consumed with media and with politics. Yes, do your part, okay? Do your part. Vote. Pray. But quit bickering. Quit bickering. Quit fighting. Be part of the solution. Your complaining, your putting people down is not going to change a thing. It's not going to change a soul. What we need is to go back to what the apostles did and preach the gospel. And they were accused in Acts, if you go back, just these common men who were, by the way, full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. It was said of them that they were turning the world upside down. So I would say, friends and family, listen, we can turn the world upside down today. Why? Not because of our intellect. Not because we're Republican or Democrat. No, it's by the Spirit of the living God. That's what we need. More of Him. More of Him. Fresh anointing. 
We need to live and move in his spirit. The, the, the access, it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. That's what's going to bring forth change. Let it start right here. If the disciples can do it, I know we're a little low in numbers this morning, but if everyone in here would get a hold of this today, we will impact Richmond, which will just overflow into Berea and to Winchester and Lexington, all of Kentucky, all of the United States and the world. It's how it works because individuals who are changed promote change as a whole we'll see culture change it's incredible it's incredible i invite you to stand father move up on our hearts right now if there be any sin in us if there be anything that is not pleasing to you show us that we might repent today and help us god to not be consumed with what we're hearing in the media but be consumed instead by what is truth the only real news that exists, and that is the Bible. May we preach it. May we post about it. May may we talk about it. May this just uh, be what our conversation is. May we be consumed with your presence. May we in this room and those listening online, may we be peacemakers, not stirring up trouble all the time. May we be peacemakers. You called us to preach the gospel. That's what changes people. And help us to continue to change more and more. In Jesus' good name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.